Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, we recently did several programs regarding legends of a global flood from cultures around the world. And as a source of information for that series, you used a book entitled Flood Legends, Global Clues of a Common Event. That's right, Scott. The author was Charles Martin. And after we finished the series, you suggested that interviewing him would make a good follow-up to those programs. Well, I thought that was a great idea, and I contacted him about doing an interview with us, and he agreed to do so. And so I would like to welcome our special guest today, Charles Martin, the author of Flood Legends, Global Clues of a Common Event. Welcome to Scripture on Creation, Charles. Thank you for having me, Ben. I appreciate it. As we mentioned, we've done several programs on flood legends from around the world, and as a uh, an important source of the information that I was sharing, frankly, uh, we used your book, Charles, and so what we'd like to do is learn a little bit more about the author of this uh, excellent book, and so Charles, uh, tell us a little bit about your background and your education. I didn't set out to necessarily write a book. Hmm. Uh, I was I was raised in a Christian family. I, I never I never doubted the Bible. Well, I think we all go through phases of, of wrestling with with what we believe and why. Well, sure, you should um, but, actually. Well, well, I agree. Yes, yes, actually, there's uh, there's a lot in the Scripture about seeking God and saying, "If you seek me, you'll find me." Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm there, you know. Um, but but I think a lot of times in our churches and in, in our Christian culture, especially here in America, we tend to like we tend to shut down asking questions and seeking sometimes. I never really doubted the Bible. There was never this moment of, you know, I don't think the flood happened. You know, I don't think Jesus lived. I always believed that. But when I went into college, I went to a liberal university and uh, I was studying comparative literature. And part of my degree in comparative literature was I had to take a literature course in a foreign language. And for better or for worse, I picked the ancient Indian language of Sanskrit. And, <laughs> not and most Sanskrit, people's first choice. <laughs> no, no, it, it, it's not. And there's a reason for that. Uh, it's it's a, a beautiful language. I, I absolutely love uh, the way it looks, the way it sounds, mm-hmm. but um, it's extremely complicated. It's so very complicated. It turns out I was an undergrad. It was my first semester, my freshman year. And, uh, and it's a grad level course. They didn't even offer it undergrad. Um, so I had to get special permission to take this grad level course that should have been the red flag, but I went, I went with it anyway. I was stubborn and it was really rewarding. It was a lot of fun, but very difficult. The fun part really started when I, I began reading, um, the Sanskrit epic, the Mahabharata, which is a very long, very long poem, uh, that, that deals with just generations of history. And, and then one of the stories, uh, there's a story of a global flood. And the similarities to the Noah story in the Bible, which which is what I grew up with, were were very surprising to me. Hmm. I didn't I didn't expect. I was familiar with other stories. I'd read, you know, the Epic of Gilgamesh in high school and things like that. But um, just so far away from the Middle East and such a vastly different culture, and they had a story that was was different. I mean, it was certainly not the same story. But it was very, very, very similar in ways that were just too great to be coincidence. I couldn't read that and go, yes, these two separate cultures just invented the same story. Sure, that makes sense. Um, I couldn't do that logically. I just couldn't do that. And that really began to sort of solidify and, and reaffirm what I'd already believed, 
But now I, I felt like I sort of had some teeth to go, yeah, yeah, I think, I, think, I think the scripture's right on this because, you know, you can't explain that away. And the only reason, the only explanation that made sense to me was that there was an actual flood. And then as these cultures developed, you know, as the, the Hindu culture developed, they had, they kind of developed their own telling of it. And, uh, and I started looking into it and I, I discovered, and I don't know how many stories I found, but uh, something between 50 and a hundred different flood legends from all over the world that were all very similar to either similar to the Genesis one, or you could see little bits and pieces of them. Now this, and I said, no, these studies that you did, this was after you graduated or was this actually during your time in school? This was actually during my time in school. Wow. Okay. Um, it, I, part, part of the degree, again, um, glutton for punishment, I took a degree that required an undergraduate thesis. Okay. Wow. And so That's my unusual. thesis was the basis of, of what became my book, actually. Okay. Uh, so I wrote a, a very, very long paper on, on just flood legends and kind of comparing them. And what surprised me, I think what surprised me a whole lot was as I was discussing it with advisors and I was talking to different classmates and colleagues, the resistance I was getting not because I was looking at Hindu mythology or I was looking at Native American mythology or I was looking at uh, other other spiritual, quote-unquote, spiritual things. Um, those were all perfectly fine. As soon as I brought in the Bible, walls went up, mm. eyes glazed over, wow. oh, you, you've got to be you've got to be too smart to believe any of that nonsense. And I'm like, you literally just praised me for talking about Krishna, you know, the Hindu God, and you're telling me now that the Bible, it, I'm too... I'm, there's, there was a disconnect there uh-huh. that really just actually kind of uh, reaffirmed everything. Um, you know, when you read in the scriptures that that the world's gonna gonna hate us, when you read in the scriptures that the world's not going to believe us, and then I see the world not believing it, right. <laughs> believing everything else except that, you kind of go, well, um, I think Jesus was right on that. So, um, <laughs> yeah, there's more to it than just an intellectual thought process, there's definitely a spiritual battle that's being revealed when they're uh, yeah. so unreasonable in yeah. that area. Yeah, it was astonishing. I And I, I deliberately, when I wrote the book, and, and um, I don't know if you, you've touched on this as you were talking about the book at all, but um, I deliberately wrote the book for atheists or people who, as soon as they hear the word Bible, they shut down. I deliberately wrote for them. And I try to take a more intellectual approach rather than just, you know, uh, the Bible says this, believe it, believe it, you know. Right. It was more of a, well, let's take a look at what all of these cultures say and let's use our brains and say, okay, did they all invent this or did it happen? And as their cultures develop, they, they develop their own retelling of the story. Yeah. You know, I and really was, appreciate it, Charles, your objective approach to this. Now, for some Christians— some believers and the flood account and so forth, they may start reading your book. And one of the things that you uh, do is you describe all these different flood stories as myth. And Mm -hmm. so uh, I would like you actually to explain uh, what you mean by that, because many believers, you know, when they hear someone refer to Noah's flood as a myth, would immediately be skeptical about anything you have to say about the flood, and they may not even continue reading. But as you pointed out, I see that you had purpose in this to uh, not just immediately jump into this idea that, well, the flood is true and all these other flood stories prove it. You're just very objectively presenting all these different uh, flood stories, flood myths, as you call them. So 
it would be helpful, I think, because I'm going to encourage people to read this book, for you to up front explain what you mean by the, the term myth, that you're not using it like we so often would say, oh, a myth, it's an, uh, just a crazy, wild story, there's no truth to it. That's not the way you use the term. No. Yeah, that that I will say. I've gotten some angry angry messages about my use of that word. Um, well, they're not reading the whole story. Then they're not reading what you say about it. They just you know uh, have an idea of what myth means and don't allow the writer to explain. So I'm giving yeah, you the opportunity to explain I, up front. I appreciate that. Yes, the word myth comes from the Greek word that literally just means story, mm-hmm. and maybe it's fake, maybe it's false, maybe it's made up, maybe it's a false belief, or maybe it's true. The, the the word just means story, um, and I, I deliberately use that word because not because I wanted to to put them all on the same plane as is fiction because mm-hmm. obviously the scriptures are real obviously that's the real history um, but to put them on the same field of these are people who were telling stories in their minds they were real and part of that is because. They may have skewed things. They may have have messed up the way they retold the story, but they were telling history. The factual, true account is the Bible, and things get watered down and changed and 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 whatnot. But it's still history, even if it's not accurate. Um, and so, I, I yeah, I very deliberately use the word myth to mean story, not fiction. And and I think that as you pointed out, that would uh, maybe tear down a barrier that an atheist might have. Uh, you know, they go into this and they go, oh, this guy's calling the, the flood stories of not only uh, Africa, South America, wherever, but the Hebrew story, a myth. So they're willing to read it. Now, what they're going to find is your challenge to them is which one makes the most sense, which one could be historically accurate, and what ones are going to be obviously silly. You know, we really enjoyed some of the stories. Uh, they were they were just, just good bedtime stories and funny. But, of, of course, when you come around to the biblical account, uh, it's much more reasonable. It's much more uh, historically feasible. So uh, I, I really did ap- appreciate the approach that you took that you took, Charles, and all the study that you did to, uh, for example, you you translated the, uh, <laughs> I hope I pronounce it correctly again, the Mahabharata, the Mahabharata. That's the, pretty close. Actually. The, That's the Hindu good. religious stories yep. in that yeah. large poem. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, that, that was quite a lot of work, but you studied Sanskrit, you learned Sanskrit, and so that really qualified you to do that. And I, I really commend you for it. It was, it was really, really interesting, your translation of that story. Yeah, that was, I actually have to say that was probably the, maybe not the best part of the research, but definitely up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, one of the, I told you, I kept hitting roadblocks. And one of the roadblocks I kept hitting was people were saying, well, you, these are ancient stories. We don't know what they meant. We don't know what the words actually meant. We don't know that they said global, but, you know, they said the whole earth. But did they mean that? And I said, okay, well, you know, I can't translate Hebrew. I, I tried learning Hebrew once. That didn't go over well. Um, but I did know <laughs> Sanskrit. And I could translate it. And I can tell you with, with all certainty that the Hindus, at the very least, the Hindus believed that the flood was global. They used words like, there was no earth. 
<laughs> and uh-huh. words like everything was sky and sea and words like the ship reeled like a drunken prostitute, I think is how they put it. Uh-huh. I remember um, you. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very, very, very vivid descriptive language uh, that can't be taken any other way. Um, right. And so, you know, I, I can attest that the Hebrew is, is saying the whole earth, but I will, I will be intellectual enough to say I don't, I don't read Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm wrong. But I know that the Hindus absolutely believed it was global. That's that's uh, and, fascinating. Yeah, and I don't I don't think that was a coincidence. I think I think they believed it was global because that's what they were taught. Yeah, because that's what happened. We're going to have to stop at this point in the interview. We also discussed a number of issues related to many of the people groups who have a flood legend as a part of their history, and we'll hear that portion of our conversation next time. But Scott, Charles' interest in the flood story recorded in Genesis. And then his willingness to do the hard work of studying and comparing the flood stories from so many cultures is truly commendable. Yeah, I'll say he actually translated a large section of Hindu religious writings from Sanskrit (laughs) as an undergrad project. You know, generally, college students are looking for the easiest possible subject to write a paper on. And his personal research confirmed his confidence in the trustworthiness of the Bible, a wonderful demonstration of works producing a strengthened faith. As Psalm 105 verses 3 to 5 says, Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his wonderful deeds which he has done, his marvels and the judgments from his mouth. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says.